Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to Head of Performance Science at Cirque du Soleil, Brian Bernstein. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So I'm absolutely delighted to bring Brian Bernstein on this episode. So again, completely out of my comfort zone as I was with Matt Springham when he came on to discuss everything about uh, the Royal Ballet. So along the similar lines, just just discussing uh, Cirque du Soleil as a business and where Brian fits into that and where his kind of expertise lie, but also get into the training chat about how these guys are preparing to perform multiple times a day, similar routines, how they recover, how they um, decide what is actually needed, how they how they balance that with all the technical work they have to do. So a really interesting chat with Brian. And if you're not familiar with Cirque du Soleil, which I am absolutely not, this is certainly an episode that is um, that people who are not involved in this kind of sport can really get something from. So really interesting chat with Brian, really happy to get him on and just get another perspective, another sport, and um, yeah, try to keep it fresh. So I'm really glad to get Brian on. I hope you enjoy this episode. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Kitman Labs, sport's first technology company to offer a complete solution that includes innovative analytics and advanced athlete management platform that is supported by a great team of sports, technology and data science experts with over 200 years experience. So Kitman Labs partners with leading sports teams to achieve consistent success on and off the pitch. So over 150 teams across the globe use Kitman's athlete optimization system to simplify daily operations and rely on the company's unique analytics to uncover the factors that influence success. So with these objective insights in hand, teams can now answer the most pressing questions and increase certainty in training and development strategies. Kitman delivers immediate impact and helps teams reduce injury risk, increase on-field performance and align coaching and performance staff. So each year, Kitman Labs hosts a one-of-a-kind event, the Kitman Labs Performance Summit. And this year's event is going to be held on the uh, on Wednesday, the 20th of March, at the Millbank Towers in Westminster in London. So I've just Googled that. It looks absolutely incredible uh, location to hold an event like this. So again, Kitman have produced an awesome lineup of guests from Martin Bushite, uh, Darcy Norman, and Jim Liston, the Director of Sports Science at Toronto FC. So if you are interested in attending, the guys at Kitman have been very, very generous to offer listeners of the Pacey Performance Podcast a discount of £75. So you can get to this conference for £100, which is absolute bargain. Um, there's going to be links on my Twitter and also links to the, uh, to the podcast page on strengthofscience.com forward slash 227. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by I Measure You. So I Measure You is used by leading biomechanist researchers worldwide to capture and compare multi-limb inertial data in the field. So I Measure You recently released IMU Step, which is a dual sensor and app for lower limb load monitoring uh, and helps practitioners optimize return to play for running based sports. So unlike GPS, IMU Step focuses on lower limb musculoskeletal load 
and works via two very small synchronized high frequency tibia one sensors which quantify three things the intensity of each step an athlete takes precise left and right lower limb asymmetry and cumulative tibial load so i measure you is now part of vicon and works with military pro and collegiate coaching athletes from around the world so if you want to get more information and know more about i measure you head over to the website imeasureyou.com or follow them on twitter or instagram at imeasureyou so without further ado over to the episode with brian bernstein Thanks for tuning in to the Pacey Performance Podcast. So I am putting myself out there again and going to a world that I know absolutely nothing about. And I want to welcome Brian Bernstein to the podcast, who is the Head of Performance Science at Cirque du Soleil. So welcome to the podcast, Brian. Thanks so much for having me. Great to be here. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for uh, thanks for giving up your time in a what sounds like a very busy schedule. So anyone that doesn't know who you are, I mean, we'll get into... The, the Cirque du Soleil stuff in a minute, but from you personally, uh, anyone that doesn't know who you are, just want to give us a bit of a background on you, uh, your education, how you got to, um, to the role you're in today. Sure. So growing up, I was uh, always around athletics. I love sport, um, but I was always that guy that uh, ended up injured for some reason. And it got me tuned into the field of sports medicine early on. So I, I knew right away what I wanted to do. Went to school, uh, got through the sports med program there and finished. Uh, in a way, I envisioned myself just being back in the community doing sports med. Uh, landed a job out of school right into a large uh, high school that really would have probably cut English before they would have cut their athletics program. So probably an athletic trainer's you know, kind of dream job. Uh, did that in my strength conditioning certification right away. Uh, a few months later, though, decided to leave that and take a challenge in hockey. Uh, so moved away uh, from home and, and joined a hockey club where I was the head trainer and strength coach. Uh, was there for almost five seasons and really loved uh, what I was doing. Um, really loved developing athletes. Uh, really loved the game, being around uh, the team environment that we had there. Worked with great people. Um, when I joined the club, we had uh, only two or three players out of our 22-man roster that were NHL property. By the time I left, 19 of our 22 were NHL property. So I really believe that the staff that we had, uh, we were doing our job in developing the talent. We just hadn't been able to win that championship. And unfortunately, the organization that I was with um, – we didn't do a good job when it came to stability within our within our uh, staff. There was a lot of turnover. I went through many coaches and many, many GMs during that time, and it made me start, uh, you know, saying, "Is this really where I want to stay?" And, and had me start looking around, um, you know, to, to broaden where I might go. Uh, it was also during that time that I had spent too many hours watching too many bad movies on uh, buses going through, you know cities in the middle of the winter uh it's it just wasted time and i decided to you know turn that time into something productive and earned a master's while on the road with the team uh during my second season there uh so got a master's in human performance and injury prevention uh which i actually believe was really critical to kind of setting up the path uh where i ended up 
So uh, just before my fifth season with the team, I had, uh, like I said, was looking around and I had been to Vegas before on vacation and, and you know, just to have some fun. Uh, but saw a job posted uh, out in Las Vegas. It was a strength and conditioning job. Uh, didn't know anything, though, about actually living in the city, being around out here. Uh, but I had read an article in the NATA News that month, uh, and the gentleman that wrote it uh, had left his phone number at the end. So I picked up the phone, and I just called, and I said, hey, I applied for a job out there. and you know, I don't know anything about the city. I don't know anything about what it might be like to – to live out there. I was wondering, wondering if I could just talk to you about that. And we got to talking and it turns out that the gentleman at the other end of the uh, line actually had my resume in front of him. And, um, <laughs> wow. you know, we, uh, so we got to then talking a little bit more about that position and, uh, you know, small world in the end, um, you know, he had made a call cause he knew some people at Cirque and knew that they were looking for somebody, uh, in a similar role and felt that I might've been a, a candidate cert called me, uh, and the next thing I know, um, you know, I've now been in Vegas coming up on 12 years um, with a pretty remarkable uh, opportunity and a job that I, uh, every day, it, it, it's it's not even a job, you know, it's I, it's I know it's cliche, but when you love what you do and the people you're with and the challenge that you're presented with, you know, it's it's really not a job. Wow. So what was the initial job that you applied for? Obviously, it wasn't the Cirque job. It was a, a strength and conditioning job with another production on the strip. Um, so there was another ah, okay. show uh, that was recruiting for a just a pure SNC position. Uh, and that was the one I had started with. And it was down to me and one other guy. Um, they, end, they ended up choosing the other guy. But like I said, it, you know, felt that I was the right candidate for a similar, at the time it was called a strength and conditioning advisor uh, slash athletic trainer role for Cirque du Soleil. So they had recommended me to Cirque. Cirque uh, ended up hiring me. And, you know, just in the, in the small world that it is, if I fast forward, you know, eight and a half years from that moment, the gentleman that had taken the job at the other production actually now works for me on my staff. Um, you know, just small world and, uh, you know, it's a, it's a close community. Awesome. So that was 12 years ago, did you say? Yeah, I'm at 11 and a half years with the company, so coming up on my 12th year. Wow, so many questions out the back of that. Firstly, uh, what's Vegas like to live? What's like as a place? You know, it it, it took a little while to, to figure it out. Um, you know, Vegas, uh, when we first moved here, I mean, I, and still to this day, actually, uh, you know, we have certain neighbors that you just don't ever see and you never get to know. Um, you know, it's a 24-7 city. Um, everybody's got different shifts, different weekends. So to kind of find your niche, to kind of find, you know, that, uh, your community, uh, took some time, but once you figure that out and once you, you know, get the, the rhythm and flow, it really is a fantastic place to be. Um, and I would also, uh, you know, kind of go as far as say, you know, joining with Cirque actually gave us a, a certain amount of people right away that you, you know, can have a life and interact with. Um, so it was kind of like you had a little bit of an embedded family when you when we got here. Um, but over the years, I've really watched the city evolve, I think, into a really caring community. Um, it's now so much more than just, um, you know, gaming and entertainment. There's a real infrastructure behind the city. Uh, we've got great recreation, great parks. Um, 
you know, great restaurants, uh, lots of good community feels. So again, it took a little while to figure it out and it could be overwhelming, but it certainly is a fantastic place to be. And I, I love raising my kids here. Um, you know, I, I, I had great experiences when I was a kid, but I look at what my kids are exposed to every single day um, and the proximity that they are to arts and theater and education and recreation. And I really can't think of a different way that I would want them to grow up. Mm-hmm. That's definitely a, a vouching for a place if you're happy for your kids to grow up there. So that's that's cool. Um, so you went in as a strength and conditioning advisor. How was that? How's that developed over t- over the last twelve years? Like staff, I'm guessing you were a staff of one at the time, and obviously that's grown and grown. Do you just want to give us a bit of a story there? Sure. So when I started, uh, you know, the company was uh, 25, 26 years old, maybe, and it never really had a dedicated strength and conditioning role within the company. Um, I was hired in within what we call our performance medicine department. Um, so kind of in that medical services range, because again, I was in an AT background, um, and they brought in, uh, they wanted somebody that was dual credential that could come in and begin to build a culture of strength and conditioning. Um, so I, I was primarily hired to focus on what we call our resident show division. Those were our shows that are like here in Vegas where they're fixed, um, permanent productions. We had, you know, one in Orlando over at, uh, Disney. We've had, uh, China, Tokyo, a few other, uh, resident productions around the world, but we had our, our biggest, uh, resident show, um, city being Vegas, where we also have a small headquarters here. So I was brought in to kind of look after that and, and build that, um, you know, kind of side of what we were doing, uh, begin to bring, uh, our version of fitness testing, if you will, we called it physical capacity assessments. Uh, those kicked off, you know, right when I started and how to be able to kind of become objective and goal oriented with our uh, physical preparation and conditioning. So that uh, was kind of the way I got in. Um, and that, like you said, really kind of began to grow pretty quick. I think once we started realizing um, how to integrate training, uh, strength and conditioning training into all of the other context of the way we work and the environment that we have. And once we started to get some buy-in from the artist, uh, that side of my responsibility started picking up a lot. Uh, so within about 18 months, we added uh, my first kind of colleague or partner uh, on that team, if you will. Uh, so I started looking after a team of two, me plus one other. Uh, And it also began to kind of become where, though I was here driving and implementing uh, our strategies and programs, it was becoming to have an influence on the other parts of our business. Uh, So that idea of strength and conditioning and how it fit into performance medicine and our coaching and uh, training department uh, and how those needed to kind of have some support as well began to evolve. Uh, a few years later, we brought in, uh, after some additional restructuring, we brought in a new um, director of coaching and performance. And at the time, we had these other services based out of our Montreal headquarters. We had a couple phenomenal uh, sports psychologists or performance psychologists uh, up there. We had a tremendous dietitian uh, that was up there. Uh, but the impact of those across the company, you know, probably wasn't as optimized as it needed to be. And we were all kind of in these 
individual silos of our service, but weren't really working well together. Uh, so our new boss had kind of said to me at the moment, he wanted me to kind of take on more of like a team lead role to that. Uh, and at the same time, begin to look at talking to people outside of CERC in the high performance world and learning how they were uh, setting up their teams and how they were uh, bringing value to the to their athletes and how we could work with uh, collaborators as far as research and innovation projects go and to try and bring a little bit of this sports science approach to circus. So that was when I started really having to have some talk with my uh, new boss about what is this role that I'm now filling and we, that's where we kind of called it performance science and began to start to look at uh, me as being this integrator of all the different sciences that we use that can impact on performance and really being a conduit between our coaching team and our performance medicine team and trying to find the right way to uh, meet both of those uh, kind of needs and services. Mm-hmm. So in terms of the the move towards employing this strength and conditioning person, which obviously was was you in the first place, where was that influence where did that influence come from that made the guys in charge think this is the way we need to go? Like for instance, over there you might have like NFL look at NBA and NBA look at NHL and they kind of go off each other and one influences you and other in different departments. Where did that influence come from from the guys that were there before you that flicked the switch, like, this is where we need to go. This is the direction we need to head. I mean, I, I guess in some sense I'm, I'm speaking for them, um, you know, because it was obviously be, uh, not a decision that I was involved in making. I can tell you uh, how we felt about it going forward. But I think it became, you know, uh, a lot of things. One was recognizing that, these people that we work with um, who are extraordinary individuals, they're incredibly talented, um, really committed to their craft. Um, they are, uh, they deserve to be, have every service and um, everything that any other elite athlete around the world should have access to. Um, we also, we also uh, as a business, have to look at how do we ensure their availability? How do we continually push the level of performance? How do we uh, impact on reducing injury risk? I think you know the guys that were involved uh, and, and ladies that were involved in you know the trajectory that our company has taken over the last you know twelve years that I've been here and you know probably well before that. I, I really believe they had great vision about um, what high performance should be um it just has been a long road to try and bring that uh culture into a uh his, you know, a very artistic and, and circus and acrobatic driven environment uh, that also now is in a very different business climate than we were many many years ago mm-hmm. now that's really interesting so just moving on to the um the kind of the meat of it in terms of demands of what your guys and girls go through, just want to give us a bit of a, an insight into that from a kind of broad perspective, and then we'll drill down into some of the uh, the individual aspects, and, and we'll go from there. Sure. I think maybe the easiest way to think about 
Cirque uh, as, as a whole, think of us, us as an entire league. We are the entire NFL or NHL uh, in that we have 20 teams um, all over the world. Uh, we are comprised of over 110 different disciplines uh, or uh, types of acts, if you will. Uh, therefore, d- different sports within all these different teams, all playing the same game, all a part of this, you know, live entertainment, um, you know, world that we're in. Each of those teams has their own coaching staff, their own director, their own uh, performance medicine team. So just like a team would have their athletic trainer and head coach and, you know, general manager and all that, each of our productions has their own uh, staff. Uh, Then we have our central governance as a, um, as an organization where we're there to look at the profession across the entire group, to look at governance, best practices, things like that. Um, so that's kind of the company. Uh, within that, we have uh, these different types of productions. So I talked earlier a little bit about the resident shows. So if I think about the six shows that we currently have in Las Vegas, these performers do two 90-minute shows a night, five nights a week. They do approximately 476 shows a year. Uh, if I look at our what we call our big top, <laughs> our, our big top touring productions, uh, those are the classic tents that you know you may see around the world that go and set up, and they're there for multiple weeks. Those guys do anywhere from eight to eleven shows a week, uh, six days a week. They only uh, are dark on Mondays. Uh, and they may go six to 12 weeks at a time in a city, uh, and then they'll tear down, take a, a couple weeks uh, transition, move to the new city and go. So they're going to do uh, you know, somewhere in the 300s uh, as far as number of produ- uh, shows a year. And then the, we have another group of touring productions that we call our arena tour. Uh, so they'll go into places like um, Little Caesars Arena, Staples, uh, you know, all the other arenas uh, around the, the world. And they do uh, a city a week for usually 10 to 12 weeks and then move. So they'll do, you know, maybe uh, roughly seven to, you know, nine or 10 productions a week, uh, Wednesday through Sunday move cities, uh, set up, do it all over again. Um, so that's a, a very demanding uh, schedule for them. Yeah, so we are definitely one of the, you know, an organization where we have to perform way more than we can train. And therefore, how we train has to be very purposeful, uh, has to have an intent. Uh, anything we do, you know, uh, where we impact on the, the, their training or their workload, we have to take that into consideration for uh, how we uh, are going to manage that. So them, them guys that are doing the two 90-minute um, sets per, uh, per evening, are they the same guys or do you have like multiple teams within the team within the team? No, it's the same group of performers. Um, wow. You know, we, we do have, uh, you know, some planned rotations. There is some uh, flexibility within that cast to do some um, kind of distribution of, of workload. But by and large, uh, it's the same people doing the same thing every night. Uh, and if somebody is unavailable and out of a show, then, you know, generally speaking, you know, we have to find a way to cover that with the, uh, the cast that's there. Mm-hmm. So in terms of the physical and physiological demands that are 
put on these these performers, like the, for instance, the, the guys that are doing two two per day. What what's that look like, and how are you managing and monitoring that? I mean, the the, the good thing to know is, I mean, these guys are all hired uh, because they are already specialists at their craft, right? Um, they've already demonstrated that they can, you know, do uh, that, that they're the best of the best. So what we're asking them to put on every single night, um, although, you know, really, um, awe inspiring and, and great to watch, we, we realize that we have to, you know, kind of control their, uh, load and pull that down to something that we know that they can do at a high level that's repeatable, that's also safe. Um, and then find a way to bring challenge and, um, bring other ways to motivate them outside of always just the performance, which is the same thing every single night. Um, so we're always looking at ways to find it, to push performance while balancing recovery and their need to sustain um, that high level performance every single night. So is, does monotony, is, is monotony an issue with these guys? I believe so. Uh, we've never directly studied. Well, we're actually doing it now. We, uh, we have uh, one of our research associates who's actually working on uh, doing some monotony calculations, and hopefully, we'll push that out uh, into the literature soon. Uh, but just looking at what I, you know, kind of believe and see from RPE scores and some from you know basic load information, I do believe that you know monotony is probably pretty high amongst our group um, because the shows are relatively set. Therefore, what they're doing, uh, you know, day in and day out is consistent and they are uh, very good at it. Uh, and I think as skill and confidence in what they're doing goes high, then their rating of exertion is going to be lower. So we're going to end up seeing a higher monotony value. Mm -hmm. and, and how often does that performance change? Or does it? Obviously, it does at some point. It, it absolutely changes. Um, you yeah. know, uh, if you were to, something I've always been told uh, as long as I've been around the company, you know, if you go see a Broadway production, if you go see Phantom or Cats or any other show, it's the same today as it was, you know, the first time you saw it many, many years ago, uh, regardless of, you know, who's in the cast today versus then. Uh, it's like the Mona Lisa. It's always there and always the same. Our productions are designed to be living and breathing. Um, they stay true to the original intention. Um, so the integrity of the show and the quality of the show will always be there. But we do always have uh, some form of continuous improvement going on. And we uh, do work to try and bring out the, uh, the best talents and qualities of the cast that we have uh, to make sure that you know we always are putting on the best production possible and that it uh, grows and evolves as the skill sets, uh, you know, grow and change uh, from the cast that we have. And that, and that's the, that's a, that's an art, right? Because we're, we're still putting the show on every single night without that off season. It's not like we're stopping the show to really make some kind of, you know, big change to the, to the production. So we have to be adding these elements or training for, you know, what we're trying to do on top of doing the shows that they're already doing every single night. Um, so one thing that, one thing that stood out, um, 
in in your while you were talking there was the the fact that you said about a performance psychologist up in Montreal and that being obviously a, a part of the the group that they wanted to to bring together was the, was the psychologist in place before you and, and what I'm getting at is was that something that they considered really uh, vital to to the to the provision that you, that Cirque provide their uh, performers and how's that change how's that provision changed over time the psychological demands of these of these guys the team that was there uh i think they they must have started right around the same time uh that i did maybe slightly before um and those roles uh we've kind of evolved the way we do those services or fill those service needs um now in that we don't keep them uh as internal positions right now. Um, what we've done is, you know, kind of adapt those to uh, a consultant-based role that is managed uh, by me with, with my team. And we kind of did that for a couple of reasons. Um, we really believe that they are critical services to our performers' success. Um, you know, I think that, uh, and I'll, I'll talk about me, I mean, I'm, I'm no way am I as gifted as, you know, many of the performers that I work with, but what I do know is that uh, from my athletic, you know, experience, if I were an athlete and then asked to come in here and suddenly have to perform on stage, where instead of, instead of performing uh, in front of an audience, I have to perform for them, where, you know, their uh, reaction to my, the way I present myself is everything that would be the hardest part uh, for me. This whole, um, how do I bring emotion to my performance? How do I, um, you know, speak to an audience? Like, that would be the challenging part. So having a mental skills uh, coach or somebody that could help me understand how to cope with the different realities of uh, performing and traveling and, and all these would be uh, uh, the biggest part of, of what I would need. So, I, I think that, you know, having a group of people that's available to help with understanding things that can interfere with performance and then uh, giving these artists strategies to uh, become better able to manage themselves are critical to the way that we need to work and support them. Um, recovery techniques, uh, again, because of the demand that they're all under, um, being able to find ways to uh, optimize their recovery. I think that uh, both nutrition and uh, mental preparation play into that. So we use this consultant-based role because our group is spread over all over the world. And not all our performers ever end up either in Montreal or Vegas or anywhere else for that matter. So although it's great to think that there's an opportunity to have a um, personal relationship and a, at least a single touch point with all of them, we know that that's not always going to happen. And we also know that not everybody's going to get along with the same people. Um, so to have a uh, wide and diverse group of uh, really experts in their space that understand the demands that our performers are under, but being able to tap into uh, many different people for different reasons it has been, I think, uh, a way to allow us to really push these services uh, and you know there these people are great in finding ways to fit the consultations with our performers in um, you know in, in crazy times under crazy conditions but we find ways to 
get that connection done. And our, our performers that have, you know, that access those services really, I believe, have uh, found value from it and believe that we have a model there that's uh, designed to help them um, and support them. So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Brian. Hope you're enjoying part one. So over in part two, we discuss uh, the three pillars that Brian uses to structure his philosophy, which include prepare, perform, and recover. So we discuss them in detail and how that how that looks in reality for his performers uh, and his athletes at Cirque du Soleil. So a really interesting part two coming up and plenty of training chat for uh, for those that are desperate for it. So just before we do get into part two, I want to say a big thanks to Black Box Fitness for sponsoring this episode today. So Black Box are a specialist gym manufacturer based in Belfast in Northern Ireland. I recently actually, actually recently went over to the factory over in Belfast and was so impressed with the the work that's going on over there and the customization, the modifications going on for each individual client. So if you are interested in adding to what you've already got in terms of gym equipment or you want a complete gym fit out, make sure you consider the guys at Black Box. Um, really good guys, definitely customer service been key to their business. So if you are interested, make sure you visit them online at BLB lkboxfitness.com also big thanks to Hawking Dynamics for also sponsoring this episode today so Hawking Dynamics offer the world's first wireless force plate testing system so the Hawking Dynamics system is built around what coaches want so they can test in the real world and not just in the lab so you're able to capture reliable data on all athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor progress from their cloud-based system from anywhere in the world so as I've mentioned, the Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, which means they're portable, and they're also trusted by teams at a number of different levels in a number of different sports. So integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring system uh, could not be easier and more affordable. So if you want to get to know a little bit more about Hawking Dynamics or actually see their plates in action, head over to the website, uh, which is hawkingdynamics.com, um, which you can, I mean, you can also schedule a demo, and follow them on Twitter at hawkingdynamics. Mm-hmm. So I just want to rewind five or ten minutes when we were chat very briefly about the, the physical demands, and, and you mentioned RPE. Is there any other ways that you guys are managing the, um, sorry, monitoring um, kind of what goes on twice a day when they're performing and how that influences what you need to do in terms of recovery, in terms of any training that may be slotted in in, in various different places. Is there anything that you guys are doing on the monitoring side of things? Yeah, I mean, we're looking at a lot of different things. Um, you know, we've tried the wearables and we're, we're going to be trying them again here under uh, a different type of uh, approach here, starting in a few months. Um but I mean, some of the issues with that again are just pure size of the troop, uh, volume of data, and you know whether we're not really going to be able to, um, you know, make that impact on our day-to-day show management. You know, it's not like in a soccer match where okay, today this person ran, you know, so much more, so therefore we're going to you know have a different training uh, approach tomorrow, uh, you know, kind of thing. Our, our shows and our, our uh, structure's not designed to be able to, to do that. Um, and without winning and losing, to be able to and you know get that much of an investment into that type of uh, you know data and analytics doesn't really you know uh, bring us uh, 
uh, a whole lot of value. But where we are pushing forward with the load monitoring plan, and it's, this is actually uh, something we're getting ready to uh, completely push across all of our um, shows within the next uh, couple months. So in addition to the session RPE stuff, which we've gone through uh, some smaller pilot projects to kind of validate that in our context, uh, so we feel really good about uh, about that. We also have um, a – there's a – platform a tool that we have that is basically like you know you build a lineup in sports right but we have a show lineup and that show lineup uh basically tracks every uh act and what we call cue all the other uh, assignments that the performer has during the show whether it's walking across stage holding a prop whether it's uh you know spotting for other images that are going on there's we have names for all that stuff and we've created a uh, you know, kind of a matrix, if you will, about how to rate each of those different um, acts and cues and assign a value, a numbered value to every one of those. So now just by going through the process that we are already doing of creating our show lineup into this tool, uh, but having this uh, value associated to everything, we are now given what's called a performance weight. And that weight every night uh, comes into our dashboard, so we see what the performer's weight for show one and show two will be. Uh, it will combine with our RPE data, and we will now have a total representation of today's load. And then we can apply, you know, whether it's the you know ACWR or any type of uh, you know load monitoring or tracking that we want to that, and start to look at how are we doing as far as um, building load capacity, and are we avoiding you know, significant spikes uh, or drops in, in their load based on their schedule, their travel, their training plan, whatever it might be. Um, so that's kind of where we've decided to go. Uh, again, with so many different disciplines and so many different uh, types of performances that we do, we've looked at things like, you know, jump count. We've looked at other measures of response to load and some of them may work in certain areas, but there wasn't really something that we found that we could stretch across uh, our entire company to have a real strategy that we could all be aligned with. And this one was the one that we uh, decided to go with. Mm -hmm. So, so how is that? How is that data collected? Or do you know? Yeah, how is that data collected? So the the lineup tools. It's an internal system that we have. That's uh, automated. So our, our okay. coaches and stage managers. Uh, you know, once we've entered the weight, they're already doing the lineup every night. So that's just part of our standard cool. daily practice. And once that goes into the platform, we uh, built an API from that into our um, AMS system, which will then be able to just uh, chart that for us and visualize it uh, into a dashboard. The RP in time is also then done through our AMS platform or through uh, uh, mobile or, or tablet devices where we can, you know, self-report those into a, a, the same platform and then we just uh, connect the two. Mm -hmm. Have you guys built your own AMS platform? Have you have you gone for no gone we, off the shelf? We, yeah, we spent a lot of time looking at, you know, all the stuff that's off the shelf and debating about the internal, you know, build type thing. Uh, and we ended up going with a, a company that's out there. Uh, we're a year and a half in. Um, and... You know, I mean, they, every one of those, uh, you know, programs out there has something they're really good at and they've got a lot of things that are, you know, customizable and then there's things that, you know, 
just aren't going to get at. But I we I feel really good about the you know the one we've been with um, and excited to keep building it out. Awesome. So on the just just flipping over to the actual the training that that does go on, where where are you fitting that in? And when you do fit that in, what does it look like in a, in, a, in general terms? And then we'll dive in a little bit deeper. Sure. The uh, all of the shows, in addition to the performances that you do in the evening, uh, they all have trainings that go on during the day. I mean, generally they have uh, you know at least you know probably two acrobatic trainings that are happening during the week. Um, more only if needed based on, uh, you know, either integrating or reintegrating an artist or making some type of change to that. Uh, and then there may be some additional changing, uh, uh, stagings or trainings that might be needed during the course of the week, uh, you know, based on whatever else is happening, uh, with whether choreography or, uh, you know, some cleanups here and there. Uh, generally it's, it's not a lot of time, but it can be intense and it, and it does add, you know, some longer hours uh, to the day. From a conditioning standpoint, then we have to figure out how to kind of balance out um, what we want to do. And uh, I think the the key for us is understanding what's the goal of what we're trying to achieve with that training session uh, and really having a plan so that we can maximize the, the time. My team here in Vegas, our performance conditioning specialist, we tend to, uh, be on site at every show three days a week. And we keep our training sessions to roughly uh, 25 to 30 minutes um, because we know we have to get in, hit the key things that are essential to whatever the goal of the plan is, uh, and then really just let them get on with what they need to do for uh, preparation for their show. Um, it's a little bit different, you know, if we think about the opportunity we have when a show is either in creation or uh, when an artist is out of the show for any given period of time uh, for any reason, because now we can actually use that uh, time to train uh, or to really build a true periodized plan that we can, um, you know, say we're targeting a particular date and outcome with. So the approaches can be a little different uh, in that regard. We also are in a place where we really have to look at how we build uh, autonomy of our artists during this process because the ratio that we have of coaches and performance staff to actual performers is significantly greater than what you see in sport. Um, so we want to be there to uh, build appropriate programs, to educate them, to guide them, to progress them when appropriate, but we also need to kind of uh, meet them along the way, figure out their training age, their background, their level of comfort, and get them on their way to doing things uh, a little bit also on their own, um, which I actually uh, I think uh, speaks a lot to the, the culture we want and the way that uh, we want our performers to kind of buy into the, the whole process. So um, it, it's not a bad thing. It, it's just one of those things that we uh, uh, work closely to kind of keep an eye on and manage. So when you speak to someone in basketball or football or soccer what their goals of what that what their job is they want to keep the guys in the field of the court and they want to naturally make them uh bigger faster or stronger obviously the first one for you guys is is obvious that all, that also uh rings true you want to keep your guys performing day in day out but in terms of the bigger faster stronger 
that doesn't seem to fit with what you guys are doing. So what is it that you guys are measuring your yourselves on, your success on as a you know performance specialist? So, you know, kind of as I was saying earlier, our, our performers do a ton of shows. Um, and, and we need them to, you know, almost be superheroes. We've hired great specialists, but then we also ask them to do so much more in our performance environment. So we have to find a way to kind of balance their uh, general physical prep needs with all these other demands that, uh, that we're placing on them. And uh, with everything that we do and without that winning and losing, nothing to really validate, you know, the, the work that they're putting in because they're still doing their performances every single night. Um, how do we measure that impact? How do we get them excited or how do we, uh, you know, measure our success going back to your question and we, we took a lot of time and we went and talked to a lot of different people about um, what did, you know, our artists, what did they feel their role in um, optimizing performance and, you know, reducing injury might be. Uh, we talked to coaches, we talked to conditioning specialists, stage management, a lot of different people about behaviors and beliefs about performance and opti optimization of services. And in the end, um, one of the things we learned was one, don't talk, don't call it injury prevention. Um, because when you, when the performer said, if you call it injury prevention, you may feel like I should have been able to present it and that prevented and that if I got injured, it was my fault. Um, and I was like, that's a great point. Um, we know what we do is dangerous. So how do we just look at controlling the risk factors or impacting on things that might become an injury risk? Uh, okay. So that was one orientation we took. And the other was that, we all want to have consistently outstanding performances, which in the end leads to ticket sales and performers making money and all that kind of stuff. Um, and in order to do that, we need to have our best performers on stage available to our coaches and artistic directors every single night. If they're available on stage, they're getting their paycheck. And if they're on stage performing optimally, then we're mitigating the costs associated with medical care, extra training time, and replacing artists. All of that led us to develop a philosophy that we call durability by design. We define durability as the capacity to withstand the physical, technical, mental, and emotional demands that support optimal health and performance. We want our artists to be happy, healthy, and as durable as possible, and it doesn't happen by accident. It happens by design. And the by design part uh, relates to the intentional, proactive, artist-centered, coach-led, interdisciplinary approach that takes decisions and enable repetition of exercise of excellent performance. Uh, yeah. So that's kind of the way that we're um, approaching everything that we're doing and the way we're talking to our performers and talking to our teams is that we want to build durability. And we've within that, we have uh, established our three pillars, uh, prepare, perform, and recover. Everything that we're trying to do now, everything that we're building, all the strategies we're putting behind our services, does it impact on uh, optimizing our preparation? Does it uh, impact on optimizing our performance? Or does it impact on optimizing the recovery? And um, if it doesn't fall into one of those things, then right now uh, it's probably going to go more towards the back burner 
and allow us to really focus on those areas that we believe can uh, have a direct impact on uh, our performers' durability and the um, uh, product that we put on stage every night. So, so clearly recovery is a, a huge thing. Obviously, your third pillar will kind of work backwards. Could, could you give us any examples of any methodologies that you're using that, that work with your guys in terms of ticking that that pillar uh, for recovery? I think in for the pillar reco- of uh, recovery, there's a, a lot of different areas that I think we can uh, impact on. Uh, first is uh, stressing the importance of sleep. Uh, we've tried to do a number of different educational sessions with our performers about proper sleep hygiene uh, and recognizing that, you know, we believe that we've created pretty good conditions for them to have appropriate sleep opportunity. And now it's up to them to take advantage of the conditions provided. Um, Or if we recognize that we can do better, we're trying to find ways to create opportunities to have a quiet place for a nap on site uh, or that we're trying to optimize our, you know, travel schedules to allow for uh, sleep opportunity when when, uh, appropriate. Um, Nutrition is key. Uh, so looking at are we uh, fueling properly uh, both throughout the day but also at the end of the day to uh, ensure that we're recovering well on that aspect. Uh, I know that our performance medicine team has been looking at all kinds of uh, you know what's current and um, appropriate for different modalities and do we have um, options available. I think you know uh, the piece of we all agree on is that there's no one right way for everybody to recover. Uh, not everybody needs to be on a foam roller. Not everybody needs to be, uh, you know, whatever the, you know, using ice baths or whatever. I think that it's a combination. You have to have a culture of recovery and you have to have a variety of options available that suit uh, different people um, based on the type of physical demand they were under uh, what they're comfortable with, the time they have, and that we need to uh, educate our, our artists to take advantage of multiple different methods of recovery every single day. Uh, and then we just have to be on top of seeing how are they coping uh, and how are they um, uh, presenting at work uh, the next day and that we're keeping an eye on that. Mm-hmm. So just working backwards through the, through the pillars, in terms of... Um in terms of perform and performance, the 25 minutes that you get or that you, you're allocated with the, um, with the performers throughout the week, what does that, what happens in that session? Can you go into any sort of, not massive detail, but I'm just trying to picture like, what does a session look like for these guys in the 25 minutes that you've got? Um, you know, the, the important part of this is, um, you know, communicating and having an expectation. Um, because there's all those Instagram trainers out there that, you know, show you a 15 second clip of something that looks really cool. Uh, but what you don't know is really what they were trying to do, how long they worked to get there. Uh, and, uh, you know, what type of, um, activity they're, they're, uh, used to doing with our guys. We know what they do every single night. We know that we have limited amount of time. Uh, to achieve a result. Um, Many of them uh, have 
uh, actually been in a, a gym or, or you know training before. Some of them haven't, um, and they all got to this level without us, right? Um, so somehow they got to the elite level without us. We better listen to them to understand how they got here and then find an appropriate way to blend what we know works for them with what we believe um, we can help them with in uh, sustaining or improving their performance. So a lot of times sticking to the basics, um, sticking to things that we know uh, are safe but produce results, uh, things that they're going to enjoy doing um, just as much. Uh, so those training sessions, the, oftentimes they're not flashy. Um, it's just come in, get some good quality work done, um, have a little fun, and then you know get them on their way. So um, we also have to be creative in that. Uh, do we always use you know free weights and bars, or do we do a lot with body weight? Um, you know, if we don't have to get them off the ground, if we don't have to. Um, you know, put the, putting themselves in positions that uh, we know have an increased level of risk over, you know, safe movements, then, yeah, I would say the training programs, uh, again, we don't design them to be flashy. And I think that sometimes, you know, it's unfortunate because I think the performers, you know, when they come to the specialist, um, you know, they think, hey, I'm going to get something, you know, really cool, different. And, you know, I, I want to do that thing that I saw, um, you know, on TV somewhere. I remember... Uh, many, many years ago when I was uh, training at one of the shows, uh, a performer had come in one day and had bought the shake weight off an infomercial. And I mean, I'm sure it was a, a little bit of a joke as well, but they're like, look at these people, you know, in the, the you know, class they're doing on, you know, on the infomercial with using the shake weight. It's the greatest thing. And I'm like, this is crap. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, but you know, it, just again, balancing that expectation of what we need to do is get the you know get the job done, and I think sometimes sticking to the the basics, but doing it right and doing it with a plan, um, progressing appropriately uh, and safely. But um, you know, those are the things that are going to deliver results. Cool. Well, I'm conscious that you're going to get booted out of another room. Um, so I'm and I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna let you. No, it's fine, mate. No problem. No problem at all. That's how things how things go. I'm gonna let you firstly get your your first coffee of the day. Um, but I really appreciate you giving up your time. Just before I let you go, can anyone who's interested in more of what you do is it what's the best place for them to reach out? Uh, welcome to email me directly. Quite frankly, I, I don't mind at all. Um, you know, if, if people want to do that, uh, you can catch me on Twitter. Uh, I'm not a huge Twitter person. I actually like to follow the news and, uh, you know, get my whatever it is, 124 characters uh, of what's going on in the world. And uh, But I actually also really like following interesting people in the field. Um, and I think it's a great way to, to do that. Um, so do you, know, do you know your Twitter handle, Brian? Uh, at B. Bernstein. First initial, last name. Perfect superb well i'm gonna let you go and i'm gonna let you crack on with your day but really appreciate you giving up your time and um anyone that wants to get hold of your email um just hit you up on twitter and you can grab an email and go from there yeah that's easy. all right perfect sounds good well thank you very much again and we'll keep in touch and uh yeah speak soon thank you so much thanks mate so that is episode 231 of the Pacey Performance Podcast in the bag. 
Big thanks to Brian for giving up his time to come on the show and have a little chat about what he's doing over in Vegas at Cirque du Soleil. So also big thanks to Black Box Fitness, Kitman Labs, I Measure You, and Hawking Dynamics for sponsoring this episode today. If you are enjoying the content on the podcast, please, please, please make sure to press subscribe on your chosen podcast player so every week the episode will get downloaded onto your phone automatically on Thursday morning UK time. So thanks again for all your support on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, etc. And I will chat to you next week.